Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Cara, acne can be tough. Whether your kid is just starting to get breakouts or has been struggling with them for years, there's a great product that can help. Phyla is the ultimate game changer. It tackles acne right at its root cause, rebalancing the skin's bacteria and packing it with probiotic phages. Phyla harnesses the superpowers of probiotics, tiny warriors targeting and wiping out the acne-causing bacteria. In studies, Phyla slashed acne-causing bacteria by a whopping 90%. Phyla doesn't just fix acne you can see. It stops new breakouts in their tracks. It has no harsh chemicals and won't irritate or dry most skin. Phyla's three-step system is like a dermatologist-approved magic potion. Cleanse, apply serum, and moisturize twice a day. As a special treat for our listeners, you can grab 25% off your first order of Phyla. Head over to phylabiotics.com, enter code PUBERTY at checkout, and kickstart your family's journey to acne-free skin. Check out the link in our show notes for quick access. Hi, I'm Cara Natterson. And I'm Vanessa Kroll Bennett. Each week, we dive into the what and how of raising kids through puberty, that roller coaster of physical and emotional shifts for kids and parents alike. Combining reliable science and relatable parenting strategies, we will all learn about, laugh about, and yes, maybe even cry about adolescence, ours and theirs. We have an incredible guest today, Danielle Bezalel, who's also known as DB. She's so many things. She's a creator and executive producer and host of Sex Ed with DB, which has a website and also an incredible TikTok channel. She's a sex educator in schools and communicator around sex, sex education, so much more gender identity. And you'll hear, Vanessa, how wonderful was this conversation? The best part about it is she has this huge smile, which you won't get to see when you listen to the episode, but you'll just picture her smiling, talking about really some of the most complex things that we all face caring for kids. But she does it with such positivity and empowerment that we know you are going to feel that through the airwaves and feel confident and armed in a really good way to go out and have some great conversations with the kids in your lives. So here we go. We hope you enjoy her as much as we did. Hi, Danielle. Hello. How's it going? Oh, it's great because you're here. (gasps) Wow. So sweet. So nice. (laughs) What a great beginning. (laughs) We're very excited. I'm stoked to be here. Thanks for having me. You are welcome. Danielle, you have an incredibly passionate following on social media because you have a TikTok channel 
and other social media channels and a website, all dedicated to sex education. Do you consider yourself Gen Z or millennial? This is I'm, a- I'm a millennial. I'll be 30 in December. Okay. So I'm, I'm definitely hardcore in the millennial category. So you're hardcore in the millennial category. Cara and I are most decidedly Gen X in every <laughs> possible way. And we marvel at how you use social media to... You millennials. <laughs> sure. <laughs> you millennials insert 10 generalizations about millennials that <laughs> Avocado are... Avocado toast, et cetera. <laughs> We've heard them all. <laughs> but you brilliantly use social media to get your content across, your sex ed content. You do your podcast. You have a team of folks who work with you. You do all these awesome videos. How would you describe your goals? In essence, my goal is to reach as many people as I can to offer them comprehensive, medically accurate, LGBTQ inclusive, pleasure-centered sex education. And I think, again, you know, maybe before it would have been, okay, maybe like I want to reach like 10,000 people. And now, you know, across platforms, I have nearly a hundred thousand followers. So I think for me, my head is just like at continuously pushing the needle there of like, okay, well, how about 200,000? How about a million? Like really just trying everything in my power to reach as many people as possible because this content has so much, I believe, value in like really letting people know about their bodies and about their relationships and experiences and to really just let them know that they are normal. And so the most people I can reach, the better. What draws them in? What do you make or message that seems to resonate the most? And is that different from what you make or message that you wish resonated the most? You know, it really depends. I think like with TikTok, And with Instagram, it's become very clear that videos are increasingly what brings people to visit our content and to really dip their toe, as it were, in like the sex ed space and like into that content. And I think that is exciting for people because they feel like, again, they can relate to this thing, even if it's like a 10 second clip. Like, for example, this morning, I posted a video. I've been really struggling with hormonal acne lately. And I have been very hesitant to figure out if I want to like share my struggles with my platform because that's not something typically that I do of like going into my personal life. And I posted a very short, like eight second video of like, hey, this is shitty. I've been struggling with this thing lately. And like, if this thing is also affecting you, like you're not alone and it's going to be okay. And like, I try to put this practice into, you know, daily of just looking at myself in the mirror and like telling myself I'm beautiful, even if I don't feel it. And like in two hours, it's gotten like 3000 views. And like, uh, okay. So I, I was one of those 3000 views. Okay. <laughs> and what I loved about that video and, and here's where I wonder if this is some of your secret sauce is you were talking about captioning about something that is negative with a big fat smile on your face. And, you know, I'm wondering if it's not just the message, but it's everything about the medium that helps people come to your information. Yeah, it could be. I mean, thank you so much for for tuning in. I think that everyone can relate to like having a really terrible experience 
with their mental health, with body image, with looking in the mirror and not really feeling good. And I think we are trained by like advertisements and the media at large to make us feel bad about ourselves so that we'll buy things. And so the sooner that we can really realize that like, hey, we're in control actually of like the way in which we think about ourselves and like positive practices we put into our daily routine can actually help with our mental health and our body image. It's a slight framework shift, but I think it's the same way that I approach, you know, a middle school class that I taught sex ed in recently where we had a body image day. And I was like taking my own advice to heart of like, Hey, this isn't just for 12 year olds. Like this is really for everybody. Yeah. That's a perfect segue. Cause I want to talk about what can you do on TikTok that you can't do in a classroom and what can you do in a classroom that you can't do on TikTok? Cause we think about this all the time in the work that we do. And there's a kind of an intimacy that you can get with social media in a bizarre way, even though you're like not actually talking to any one singular person, but there is an intimacy and vulnerability in it. But then there's a whole other kind of intimacy, you know, of emotional intimacy when you're in a room full of people who are kind of like eager to learn and to share. So talk us through like how you figure out what you talk about where and what the limitations are in those trade-offs. Sure. I mean, I think with TikTok, it is a very special ability for me to be like silly and goofy and a little bit more creative than I can be in the classroom. I think with trending sounds and like being really like open and like maybe sarcastic, like there are takes that I can have on TikTok that I can't as a sex educator have in the classroom. And I also think the topics that I cover on TikTok are a little bit more mature than I maybe would cover in, you know, a classroom. I think a reality for sex educators who make money doing this full time is that we have advertisers and we have sponsors and a lot of those sponsors are sex toy companies. And like, I can't talk about that in a middle school class, but I need those sponsors to be able to survive. So I think that's an interesting piece of like the business that I do talk about and use that content on my TikTok and on my Instagram that I don't necessarily do in the classroom. But as you mentioned, in the classroom, there is that intimacy. There is that ability for me to make eye contact with folks and like really be able to share this information in like such a non-judgmental way and to really assure them that like they are normal, like I said, and they are not alone in their feelings. The most special thing I feel about being a sex educator is when a student trusts you enough to come up to you after class and say like, hey, I've been struggling with this one thing or like, hey, I want to know more about STI testing without my parents knowing, like me being able to say, like, I want to advocate for you as a young person to get the tools that you need is so powerful. And I imagine it's a microcosm of what teachers feel every day when they connect with their students. And it's really special to me. So let's go down that road for a minute. Parents and adults involved in the raising of kids ask all the time what we do with information like that. What if a kid comes to you and asks you a question that either maybe should go to a parent or should definitely go to a parent or something should be flagged. And I'm wondering if you can walk through what your process is in a classroom versus on social. When you get DM'd or when you see a comment that's a flag for you, because 
I would imagine in the classroom, your experience is not dissimilar to ours, which is it's a classroom. There are 20 kids. You're usually in a school setting. There's usually a mechanism to -hmm. get to the right adult to help the kid. But on social media, it might be very different. That is really tough. And I haven't necessarily considered the DMs that come in. Because of course, number one, we're not offering medical advice. I think that's something that kids who feel disenfranchised and not supported at home, unfortunately, like don't know where to go. And so like, I encourage folks to ask questions if they can, but we can't be the people to answer them all the time. So I think like understanding our limitations is really important. And when it comes to DMs on social media, another thing that I've tried to share with young people is like, hey, like I'm not an expert. I'm not a doctor. Like in that way, if you feel comfortable talking to your parent about that, I recommend that. If you don't, I recommend this really awesome app. I'm curious to hear if you two have heard of this app. It's called OKSO. O-K-A-Y-S-O. Ooh, I'm so happy to be able to introduce it to you. This is so exciting. This is for parents and for young people. Is it pronounced? Okay, so... That's like the origin (laughs) of the name for sure. Of like, okay, so there's this issue, right? Of like, so it's an amazing app that is led by experts. And essentially anybody of any identity and any age can go on the app anonymously and ask any sex ed related or identity wow. or relationship questions that they want. And they'll be responded back to with a group of experts in, for that specific thing. And it is an amazing app. I've recommended it to parents. I've recommended it to young people because again, we do not have the capacity, the bandwidth, the wherewithal the expertise sometimes to be able to answer these questions. And these experts are doctors. They are therapists. They are people who, again, say, hey, we still recommend like you going to your parent and you going to your own therapist, but like we are here for you and we'll give you whatever answers that we can. So that's like an app, I think a a tool, a resource that I can give people to say, hey, it's it's a free app. Go, you don't have to put your name because like that's what kids really want is their anonymous questions answered. And so it's a really genius app. They're growing every day. They're super awesome. So if you're listening and you haven't heard of this app, I highly recommend that you check it out. We'll put a link in show notes to it. I'm curious, do you send kids to like the Planned Parenthood website at all? Because a lot of people don't know that there's just incredible sex ed and health education on the Planned Parenthood website in addition to other resources. So are, is that a place you go or do you have other favorite websites besides yours, of course? <laughs> Planned Parenthood all the time, for sure. Another really amazing organization that I recommend is Advocates for Youth. Mm-hmm. Y'all have heard of them. They're fantastic. They are experts in working with young people and really empowering them to do peer-led sex education. Just really excellent work that they do. But absolutely, in terms of websites that I recommend that people go to when they're seeking information, Planned Parenthood is usually at the top of my list. If you listen to enough of our episodes, you'll hear us preach the importance of air, particularly down there. Airing out body parts reduces sweatiness, stinkiness, and skin irritation. And it feels amazing to air it all out after a long day in tight, sweaty clothes. Which is why we created the Oom Short. Super soft, lightweight, with wide legs and a low crotch. All help air flow. Designed for all genders in all sizes, literally down to kids extra small and up to men's extra large. 
Everyone who wears them tells us they've never been so comfy. Get your shorts at myoomla.com. Vanessa, we literally have three minutes to eat lunch every day. I am not joking. And the challenge is how to make it delicious and healthy and still fit into that tiny window. Our answer is factors ready to eat meals. They have been a godsend. We throw our factor meals in the microwave. It takes two minutes and out comes a gorgeous, fresh, never frozen meal. We both love the tamale vegetarian one. It's delish. There's a ton of options every week. There's 60 add-ons, breakfast, snacks, beverages. I love doing the wellness shots with my kids. They think it's hilarious. And I know they're getting vitamins and minerals in their bodies. So get meals on your table or at your desk in two minutes or less. Factor meals eliminate the hassle of prepping, cooking, and cleaning. You can customize with flexibility to get as much or as little as you need, and you can press pause or reschedule depending upon your lifestyle. So to order, go to factormeals.com slash puberty50 and use the code puberty50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That code is puberty50 at factormeals.com slash puberty50 to get 50% off your first box, 20% off your next box. And I am going to go do that right now because I need more factor meals in my refrigerator. Cara, lately I have been lying awake at night. I'm physically exhausted, but I can't sleep because my mind is so wired with everything going on between work and my family. So I've added magnesium breakthrough to my nightly routine and it actually helps calm my mind. It helps me get better sleep and I wake up feeling better rested. I'm less cranky and I'm more patient with my family and with you. Oh, I've noticed. And it's because unlike other magnesium supplements that might give one or two formulations of magnesium, Magnesium Breakthrough has seven. That's why you're sleeping so well and waking up refreshed. Now, dietary supplementation is always best, Vanessa. So that means eating your minerals and vitamins is the best way to get them in. But if you can't or you don't get enough, Magnesium Breakthrough is the way to go. It can also help digestion, though too much helps your digestion too much, which is not a good thing. It can support muscle recovery. So bye-bye, Charlie Horses. And it helps build dense bones, which is especially important for women approaching and in menopause. We have an exclusive offer for our listeners. You can go to buyoptimizers.com slash puberty, B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S.com slash puberty. And you can use the code PUBERTY10 during checkout to save 10%. That promo code is PUBERTY10 at buyoptimizers.com slash puberty. Your body and brain and family and business partner will thank you. Cara, my kids love Magic Spoon cereal. And even though it's cereal, they actually love it as a homework snack. The variety pack has four flavors, cocoa, fruity, frosted, and peanut butter. And fruity is the favorite flavor in my house. Now, this pack has zero grams of sugar, between 13 and 14 grams of protein, and between four and five grams of net carbs per serving. It's made with wholesome ingredients, no artificial flavors or dyes, and it's high in protein, gluten-free, grain-free, and soy-free. So a great choice, Vanessa. 
You can go to magicspoon.com slash puberty to grab a variety pack and try it today. And be sure to use our, you guessed it, promo code puberty at checkout to save $5 off your order. And Magic Spoon is so confident you're going to love their product. It's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they will refund your money. No questions asked. They do not want you to send their cereal back to them. Try a bowl of Magic Spoon cereal today at magicspoon.com slash puberty and use the code puberty to save $5. I noticed that you're using the term young people. Yeah. And I want to dive into that a little bit because to me, it's an inclusive term. We struggle all the time with what words and terms to use in order to be inclusive, but not patronizing or virtue signaling, or just like, frankly, annoying when we're talking about people. And can you talk us through a little bit about like your path to finding the right language that you use for people? Because we hear from so many listeners who are like, I want to use the right words, but I feel like I turn around the next day and like my kid tells me it's now the wrong word. And I like, and, and I, we I don't say know that too, right? I mean, we feel that like totally genetic female is genetic male. These are terms that we use often, but don't feel exactly right. Mm, so, for sure. um, and then people on TikTok tell us <laughs> that they're not exactly not right. right. <laughs> yeah. Okay. A few things right off the bat. First of all, I really appreciate the question. Second of all, I'll give you my two cents. I'm probably not the right person to answer this question because I, again, I'm, I'm 29. I'm a millennial. I definitely am learning every day alongside Gen Z, young people, however you want to call them, because you're right. Language is changing all the time. And in terms of how I navigate those changes, I think like really doing research, right? Whether that's really understanding if there is a change, who am I following to understand that change? What's the background behind that to really figure out, okay, how am I going to include this change in my daily language or in my content? And if I mess up being like, oops, I messed up. And then just like really moving on kind of a similar thing that we recommend, you know, when people misgender people of like, okay, it's not really time to make this moment all about you, the misgenderer. (laughs) Um, The time really is for you to say, oh, I'm sorry. Thank you for teaching me. And I'm going to move on. And so I think like if you're listening and you're a parent of a kid who's coming to you saying, God, mom, like that's so yesterday, like this is the new term for that. I think like really treat them with as much respect every single time while it can be maybe silly to you or a little, you know, too much, or you're kind of tired of it. Your kid is really navigating what maybe labels feel good for them and or their friends. They're navigating their sexual orientation, their gender identity. and it's okay that that's changing and it's okay that language is shifting to meet the needs of our time. And so all I can say is like, do your research in terms of, you know, like really following like queer people and like young people who are talking and educating about those things and just kind of respecting them no matter what and and try to recognize that they are navigating this with you. But I I think it's hard because I think a a phrase like young people, which is a really great phrase, is a phrase that has come back from an older generation, right? I had a funny experience several years ago with one of my kids and he was seen 
making out on the dance floor with someone else. And And defmo, dance floor makeout, as we say. Oh, (laughs) thank you. Okay, new term, defmo. And I was told by someone else, but I wasn't allowed to out the person who had told me. So I had to figure out how to address the fact that being intimate with someone else is something actually private and you have to, or at least pick your moments, like not in front of someone's grandparents, for instance. Sure. Uh, Those young people. You can imagine what kind of dance floor this was, aka, you know, a bar mitzvah. And so I had to figure out how to get into the conversation with him without outing the person who had reported it to me. And also like having a kind of broader conversation with my kid about being intimate with someone. So I kind of got into it. And again, I'm like trying to be inclusive. And I'm like, hey, dude, listen, I don't know if you're gay or you're straight. Like, again, I'm not supposed to know that he was with a girl on the dance floor. And he looks at me and he's like, mom, we don't use those terms anymore. It's (laughs) heterosexual or homosexual. Oh, Um, interesting. And I was like, oh. And at first I wanted to be like, just let me get to the goddamn point. But I was like so blown away that he took that moment to be like, those aren't the terms we use. And then I wanted to laugh because I was like, here's this little pisher like trying to teach me about oh my um, God. Yeah. sex. Ed. And I was like, oh. And in my head, I'm slightly laughing and also like slightly irritated. But to him, I was like, hey, thank you so much for telling me that. Like, I, I'm embarrassed that I got it wrong. And he was like, no problem. And then... <laughs> Had he had he successfully deflected the entire conversation? No, 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 no. Because then I got into the conversation about like appropriate settings and whether you talk about when you're intimate with someone else or that's really something private, it's not something to be shared to the world, and you know signs of respect and all of that stuff. And mostly, he just wanted to know who had told me that he. And he then he was like, "Why are you bringing this up?" And then I had to like make up a story as to why I was bringing it up because he was like totally suspicious. So let's just say I was you're not, digging. Yeah, it's like not particularly sly, but it was a great moment where this kid who I thought like wasn't reflecting on this stuff at all was actually really, you know, teaching me and really forthright about it. So we can do a, like a speed round on vocabulary. Um, (laughs) if we have time later, although Cara and I are incapable of doing a speed round, speed rounds turn into like a four hour session. So like probably not. I do want to share quickly though, that like parents, this happens to sex educators too. And like this happened, this exact kind of thing happened in the classroom with a middle schooler recently where I was defining terms. And after class, this is the first day that I had met this young student. This person had come up to me and said, yeah, I'm offended by this definition because I identify in that way. And that's incorrect. And I went, like in the, I mean, in the moment I was like, okay, let's talk about that. Like, what do you think is an appropriate definition? And we kind of had a conversation. I, I pushed back a little bit, but ultimately you have to just kind of say, thank you so much for your note. I really appreciate it. I'm sorry to have offended you and I'll see you tomorrow. And like, that's how it ended. But in the moment, it very much, and it stuck with me for weeks of being like the audacity of this 11 year old to come up to me in the (laughs) middle of class. And like, it was my own hang up around like authority and ego and like what is appropriate for a classroom setting. And one last note is that this was a private middle school in Brooklyn. So like liberal, very hippy dippy, you know, like these are kids who are unafraid to say, Hey, these are my pronouns and I'm 
bi, but I'm also pan, but I'm also agender. And like, they, they know all the terms and they're ready to really wrestle with their identities and talk about the shifts and really figure that out, even if they're not sexually active or romantically active. Well, right. And then there's the part of it where you've been schooled by a a tween or a teen. And the hiccup for me is always, is that one person's experience? And is that an outlier experience? And is that a kid who's just trying to figure it out themselves? Or is this someone who is teaching me something that I'm getting wrong time and time again, and I need to course correct? And so just like we want them to find good sources of information so that they can then learn and repeat that information over time, it's hard for us and we need to find good sources of information. And so you know, when I'm in a clinical setting or a school setting or a class setting and I am corrected, which happens a lot, actually. I mean, like more than I think most people imagine, we get micro corrections and then the occasional bigger correction. I always find myself going home and not just not just thinking about it, but looking it up, calling people, trying to figure out, you know, where on the spectrum of this was one kid to I need to change my approach here. Does mm-hmm. this thing fall? Right. Yeah. And even, I mean, I wonder a little bit and I want to ask your advice on a something I'm hearing a lot about, but I wonder a little bit like in the next classroom that you're in, if you say, or the next workshop that we're in, Cara, that you say like, this is how I normally define X term, but someone came to me and told me that didn't feel right to them or, or it offended them. or And I'm curious what you all think about... Okay. So I'll give you my, my best, most recent example, which happened on the podcast, right? Which is... Oh, we, right. We had a guest who was incredible, a teenager who was diagnosed with something called MRKH, which stands for a lot of names that I can't remember, and neither could she, and that made me feel so much better. But um, basically, she was born without a uterus, and it was her path through the experience of finding out she had no uterus. It's an incredible listen. And I recommend everyone when they're done with this, go listen to that. But she completely reoriented our thinking around how we teach genetic females about anticipating their period. Because here Mm -hmm. was this young woman who was raised in a very progressive, very open home where from day one, like she can't even remember how early it was when her parents started talking with her very openly about one day you're going to have a period and this is what it's going to be like. And it was all completely normalized. And you know what? For her, she was not ever going to have a period. And so she talked about the experience. Yes, she's an outlier in one little corner, although it's not as rare as you might think, which is really incredible as well. But we started to ask her, okay, how do we teach about periods in an inclusive way? when someone sitting in that room may have something where they have no idea they're not going to get a period and we have no idea they're not going to get a period. So it's a good example of like, we're, we're always right trying to broaden the lens and adjust and tweak and include every person's experience, which it's almost an insurmountable mountain. This is such a good question. I mean, even me as an educator, to be inclusive, I usually say people with uteruses, right? So it's kind of like 
okay, well, periods don't necessarily have a gender. So that's why we say people with uteruses, or if we're talking about the clitoris, or we're talking about the vagina, we say people with vulvas, you know, there are ways in which you can be gender inclusive. But of course, when you're talking about people with disabilities or people who are born without a uterus in this case, then it is important to kind of have a slide. It's worth having a slide to talk about hey, let's talk about people who don't have uteruses, um, but do identify as a woman or who were assigned female at birth. You would say that AFAB, by the way, is like a term that you use in sex ed, assigned female at birth. And, you know, let's talk about what that could be like for someone without a uterus. And then sometimes there's stuff that's so common and people just don't know it's quote unquote normal. They think they're the only one. I mean, that's the thing that is so cool about the work that we all get to do is normalizing the stuff that everyone thinks is not normal. I mean, Cara knows my favorite topic is vaginal discharge because like every person with with like a vulva walks around thinking for a certain period of time or maybe their whole lives that they're the only one who gets vaginal discharge. And then when you reveal to them that it's like normal and actually often normally healthy, healthy. they're like, oh my God, really? Oh, yeah. Like it's so, it's like, it's like what's behind door number three? And they're like, oh my God, things just got so exciting. So that's the, to me, that's the thrill of the work that we get to do. But there's always someone we're not including or we're missing or we're forgetting about, or we're kind of inadvertently excluding. Can we talk a little bit about topics that people often exclude as opposed to people? Because we find that people of our youthful middle-aged generation... (laughs) Young, old, middle-aged Young, old people. It's called Y-O-M-A. Young, old, middle-aged people. Okay, sorry. Yomas who are... How do you say making out on the dance floor? Defmo. Defmo. Yomas who are defmoing. Yeah. Go We're gonna go, we should go trademark <laughs> so all good. of those, Cara. I want to talk about masturbation for a minute because- Would love to. Would love we, to and always do. Good. Amazing. <laughs> we are fascinated by the discomfort that people feel talking about masturbation, their kids' masturbation, teaching about it, normalizing it, all of that. Can you, from someone who works in the space- who is of a different generation than we are. Do you think that's something specific to our generation? Do you see it carrying over to millennials, to Gen Z, to Gen Alpha? Like, what are you noticing as you are are in this world? I think my answer is yes and no, honestly, because I think that there are some folks in my generation and Gen Z, many folks who still feel very embarrassed and that this is such a taboo topic. I would say one of the top three DMs that we receive is I'm masturbating too much. How do I get myself to stop? Or I'm embarrassed about masturbating. It's sinful. Like something around needing to unlearn all the harm that you've heard that's not true around masturbation. And then at the same time, there are all these, there's like a renaissance of sex toy companies, right? And like pleasure companies and sex tech that are booming right now, right? There are dozens and dozens of apps and sex toys and You can buy them online, but you also can post about them on Instagram. Like there's something going on there that is new and fresh, I would say. You need to unpack your own stuff around masturbation. Ask yourself, like, do I feel like masturbation is gross in some way? Do I feel like it's embarrassing? After I masturbate, do I feel shame? Do I feel guilt? Like 
These are things that are tied to our religion, our customs, our norms. We're made to feel like that. And it's not shameful. Masturbation is very normal. A majority of people who masturbate do it in a very healthy way. As long as it doesn't take over your daily responsibilities and you don't feel like you're harming yourself or someone else by doing it, go to town is what I usually say. Like it's really, (laughs) it's really important to teach kids also that like, Hey, these are the anatomically correct words of your body and you feeling good in your own body will lead to pleasure for you now and down the road. If, and when you choose to experiment with a partner also like it lessens the chance of sexual abuse and assault when we're teaching young kids about the anatomically correct words for their body parts And so can you say that again? That is so important for adults to hear. Yeah. Your kids are less likely to be on the receiving end of abuse or assault when they're empowered to know the names of their own body parts and what feels good and bad in their own body. It's critical that kids are given this information and education so that they can not only protect themselves. I don't want to, you know, make it only important if we're if we're not getting your kids to get assaulted. Right. We want them to feel pleasure. We want them to feel excitement and joy and happiness in their bodies. I always say, because in our workshops, we teach kids all the different body parts, including the clitoris. And we'll say like, the clitoris is so cool because its only job is that it feels good when you touch it. And the kids are like, okay, cool. Like that explains it. And the adults often like want to crawl under the couch, even though they're like, yeah, I didn't know until I was 30 what that was or that it felt good. But we want our kids to grow up knowing and believing that they deserve for their sexual relationships or masturbation to feel good. Like, can you imagine never knowing that and being deprived of that information? I mean, life is hard enough without knowing that like there's parts of your body that feel good and no one told you. Yeah. Uh, So we're going to wrap with a final question. I actually, I'm going to ask you, we do a practical puberty takeaway because we love alliteration, like the big dorks that we are. (laughs) And I want to ask you, what do you think the next frontier is in sex education? Because a decade ago, I think many of us couldn't have imagined the role that gender identity and sexual orientation, all of that, how sort of widespread that would become in the standard conversations. And I'm wondering what you see as the next frontier. The first thing that comes to mind for me is gender affirming care. I think that we are now starting to see how detrimental laws and bills that are introduced that go against gender affirming care. Can you define for folks what gender affirming care is for people who don't know? So there's a spectrum of what gender affirming care is. It can be as simple, but as powerful as respecting someone's pronouns or respecting their gender identity and really affirming that they are who they say that they are, right? That people know themselves. So us confirming and putting two thumbs up and saying, yes, you are a girl. I'm going to call you she, her. Here's your name. Here are your clothes. I want to support you in that. Can I interject for one second? Please. Can I interrupt you answering my question with another question, which is we hear from a lot of people who say that gender identity and changing genders is just like, it's a trend and it's like cool to do that. And like people are suspect when their kids or their kids' friends are doing it. How can adults handle, like you're talking about the importance of gender affirming care. How can adults 
have whatever judgments or feelings they're having and still be caring and supportive of kids while doing that, right? Because we can't censor our own internal monologues, but we also want to care for the kids around us. Yeah. I mean, of, of course, again, this is a spectrum too. Another part of the spectrum of gender affirming care is like hormone replacement therapy, HRT, or, you know, getting gender affirming surgery, which again, could happen a little bit later down the line. But just know that your kids, again, it's the same kind of thing with the story of the kid who came up to me after class. It's like, do I necessarily like understand like where you're coming from? Maybe not. Like maybe I don't feel that fluidity in my own gender identity, or I don't feel the kinds of identities that you are sharing. But regardless of whether or not you feel those things about yourself, your kids are at a critical point in their lives where they just need to know that people have their backs and that they're loved and supported no matter what. So I think like having that conversation with your kids and making sure they know, Hey, I love you. I support you. I'm going to call you whatever you want. Can you talk to me a little bit more about your gender identity? I'd love to hear more. Like what, what makes you feel the most you in that identity label? And also just re-emphasize to young people and to yourself that life is very long and things are changing all the time. And even, you know, me as a 29-year-old sex educator who has these tools, I question my identity all the time. Like it is normal to question labels and really, really normalize that for your kid. Really make sure that they know that. What I love about that answer is that it's a question because what seems to stress out the adult generations in this conversation. And there's a huge piece in the New York Times Magazine, and there have been many articles in many outlets with different bents around this issue in particular, but what seems to stress people out is this feeling that when a kid identifies a question about their gender, there needs to be an answer given. And what you have said is talk about the question. Talk about how the kid's feeling. Listen, right? Validate the feelings. But what the data is showing very, very clearly is that just like there's a spectrum of almost everything out there in the world, there's a spectrum of ways kids feel about their gender. And when a child says, I question my gender, what one child might mean by that is very different than what another child might mean. And I think the first thing adults can and should do is drill down and figure out what they're saying and ask them lots of questions and not feel like you have to do anything definitive right now and make a decision and this, that, and that. Just listen. Yeah, totally. And tell them, I got your back. No matter what, if you change your, your mind, your identity, you're my kid and I love you. And like, that's really all they're seeking is like approval from you, right? Like to know that you are invested in like who they are and who they're becoming and your own research can be done around labels and around identity. Which is not to minimize the journey and does not mean that you are the only one that maybe needs to speak with them. Many of these kids will benefit from speaking with healthcare and mental health care providers who specialize in this area. Another fact, fact, is that when people speak with those healthcare and mental health care providers, that does not 
then take them down a road, a specific road, right? I think, you know, sort of like the old myth about sex education makes people sexually promiscuous. It does not. Likewise, having conversations with people who work in the field of gender identity does not then commit you to a path of questioning and changing your gender identity. All it does is it puts you in contact with someone who actually knows how to have these conversations and can educate everyone about sort of the right, slow, stepwise ways of thinking about this whole process. You are fantastic. We love the work that you do and are so grateful that you are in this world. And we'll link to all your amazing stuff in the show notes so people can follow you and check out all your incredible work. Thank you both so much for having me. Thanks so much for listening. You can follow us anywhere you get your podcasts or check out our Instagram at The Puberty Podcast. If you have questions or stories to share, email us at thepubertypodcast at gmail.com. And for more puberty info, check out myoomla.com or dynamogirl.com. Bye. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.